So here we are, we're in message 12 of a total of 13 in our series, Vital Signs. We're talking about the indicators that show we possess spiritual, eternal life. There's no greater question to have answered in your own life. Do you possess eternal life? Are you going to go to heaven? The book of 1 John was written to convince Christians that they're Christians and that heaven is their destination. John said in chapter 5, verse 13 of this book, I write these things to you, the whole book, who believe in the name of the Son of God. He's writing to believers so that you would know you have eternal life. How do you know you have eternal life? There's 13 vital signs. How do you know you have physical life? You check your vitals. How do you know you have spiritual life? You check your spiritual vitals. And there are 13 that the book of 1 John reveals. All Christians who are born again, who have eternal life, will manifest these 13, all of them, vital signs. And so let's just kind of review briefly. So far, we've studied 11 of them. Fellowship. All Christians experience fellowship with God and other believers. Christ-likeness. All Christians resemble Jesus. Spiritual growth. All Christians grow spiritually. Loving not the world. All Christians have this anti-love for the evil system, sin, of this world. The Holy Spirit's anointing. All Christians experience the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. A purifying hope. All Christians possess a hope that purifies. Doing what is right. All Christians do more and more of what is right and less and less of what is wrong as time goes on. Loving like Jesus. All Christians love like Jesus to a degree. I mean, none of us is perfect like Jesus, but we love like Jesus. Testing the spirits. All Christians test the spirits. We test false teachers to discern what true teaching is. It's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He gives us discernment. And loving one another. All Christians love others with God's love. Now, this morning we come to the 12th vital sign, and it's the vital sign of belief. Can you say that word after me? Belief. Wow. So how do you know if you possess eternal life? The answer, you have believed and you continue to believe in Jesus. There's no such thing as a Christian who has no belief in Jesus. The primary difference between a Christian and someone who isn't is a Christian believes. They put their faith, their trust in Jesus. A non-Christian is someone who hasn't yet believed in Jesus. They haven't yet trusted in Jesus. And, you know, we shouldn't over-spiritualize faith. We shouldn't over-spiritualize belief. And what I mean by that is this. We exercise, exercise faith all the time. All the time. You came into this room and you sat in a chair by faith, believing it would hold you up. You got in your car and you believed that going 65 miles an hour down the road to get to church on time, those brakes were going to make you by faith. You, you eat food all the time. Who made that food? Who cooked that food when you went to that rep? By faith, you're eating that meal. You use your cell phone by faith. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, according to the Journal of Applied Microbiology, the average cell phone has more germs than a subway station toilet. 
Every time you use your cell phone, it's an act of faith. You exercise faith all the time. Watch this. A Christian is simply a person who has weighed the evidence about Jesus Christ and said, I'm going to trust Jesus as my Savior and Lord. That's, if you're trusting Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you're, you're a Christian. That's the indicator that you have spiritual life. It's one of the 13. Now let's read about this spiritual vital sign of belief. And I want you to notice that belief isn't something that just happened, you know, 20, 30 years ago. It's something that's an ongoing experience in a believer's life. It's like beep, beep, beep. The vital sign is always there. You're always believing in Jesus. That shows you have eternal life. Let's read and notice all the times the word belief or faith comes up in these verses. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God to obey His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He he did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which He has given us about His Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about His Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Amazing 12 verses of Scripture that we're going to unpack this morning. All around the theme of belief. Now, what we want to do is give you three reasons, because this is what John gives us, why all Christians believe in Jesus. These three reasons are true of all Christians. The first reason why you, if you're a Christian, believe in Jesus is this. Belief in Jesus is the byproduct of being born of God. Now, in this first section, actually in all this, you're going to have to really put on your thinking cap. Now, all Christians believe in Jesus, but the only way to believe in Jesus is to be born of God, to be given new spiritual life. So the question, and this is a big theological question, but is this, what comes first? What comes first? I believe in Jesus on my own, or God gives me spiritual life so I can believe in Jesus? So theologians throughout the centuries debate the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism, two branches of theological thought. The question under debate is this, do men choose God By deciding to believe on Jesus apart from God? Or does God first choose men by making them spiritually alive, which then gives them the power and the grace to believe? I mean, how can you believe if you're spiritually dead? You have to be made alive in order to believe. 1 John 5, verse 1 answers this question. But to see the answer... It's not, 
completely clear in English. You have to know some Greek, so I got to teach you a little Greek this morning. The Greek language is amazing because it's so descriptive. There are tenses and meanings in the Greek language that the English just, we can't convey. And it's a wonder of God that Scripture was written in Greek because it's so precise. And there are times you need to understand Greek in order to understand God's Word because, again, the English has limitations. But notice, if you would, chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, the word believes, everyone who believes, is in the present tense, indicating a present continuing activity. So, in other words, everyone who believes, everyone who constantly, continuously believes, that's the pattern of their life, that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. Now, the phrase born of God is in the perfect tense, perfect, which indicates a past event with continuing consequences. So, you say, all right, no more Greek, Mark. Tell it to me in English. In other words, it would really be best to understand. Now, it's a good rendering in the English, but the best understanding of this passage would be this. Everyone who was born of God in the past now believes that Jesus is the Christ. John R. W. Stott, one of the greatest scholars, you know, of our era, he's passed on, but uh, he says this, quote, our present continuing activity of believing is the result and therefore the evidence of our past experience of new birth by which we became and remain God's children. So this verse could be read, if I were to translate it, really the Greek rendering, because you have been born of God, you believe. That's what John is saying. Because God gave you spiritual life, you believe. You see, the, the, now the image of, of physical human birth maybe is helpful to understand spiritual birth. So the question becomes, it's not that complex when you begin to think about this issue. Think about this. Who initiated human life? The child or the parent? I mean, you as a child, baby in the womb, did you initiate your own life? No. Your parents initiated you. And it's the same with God. God initiates all spiritual life. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what John is teaching us here and throughout Scripture, James 1.18. He chose to give us birth. He, God, initiated this whole process. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, He saved us through the washing of rebirth. There it is, being born again and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He, He initiated the whole process. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And often we, we say, well, yeah, I'm saved through faith when I believe. And that's true, that's part of it. But then read the rest of the verse. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works. Your salvation is not a result of any work that you've done. It is a gift. Faith is the gift of God as a result of you receiving new life in order to believe. You see, we often look at salvation from our experiential human standpoint, but John is looking at salvation from God's standpoint. How does God view your salvation? And we need to begin to view our salvation from God's perspective, a theological perspective, not just our experiential 
perspective. So I would say you could think of your salvation, this is how I think of it, in four, ter- in four words. Death. I started off spiritually dead. That's what Ephesians 2 says. We are born in our sins, separated from God. We're spiritually dead. When you're dead, look at a dead corpse. The, ca- the corpse can't respond. You're dead. There's no waking. You're dead. You can't respond. When you're spiritually dead, you can't respond to God. So you, all of us start off in spiritual death. The next thing is spiritual life. God has to revive the corpse, give you spiritual life. What does that spiritual life do? It gives you then the grace to believe, to put faith in Jesus, which results in your salvation. Wow. Hopefully, this is getting you to think a little bit, and it's getting you to realize me believing in Jesus is a flat-out miracle of God, and it is. It's wondrous. It's incredible. So what's the first reason Christians believe in Jesus? It is the byproduct. It's the result of being born of God, of God giving you new spiritual life. Now, the next question is this. Well, what is the evidence that I really have believed on Jesus? Three things will be true of our lives if, in fact, we have believed that verses 1 to 3 really talk about. Look at this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And, and read on. And, and this is a little bit hard, again, to translate in the English, and it is a little bit difficult in the Greek even, and it's, it shows itself here. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God, to obey His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. There are three evidences that John points out here that you, in fact, have believed and have been born again, and the three are this. We love the Father, we love God's children, that is, other Christians, and we obey God's commands, and His commands are not burdensome. Why, let me ask you this question, is it something that you are able to do, these three things? I mean, I think in your life, you're looking at your life and you're saying, you know, yeah, I I love God, I love other Christians, and I love God's Word. Why are you able to say that? You want to know why? Because you have believed in Jesus, and God has given you spiritual life. You are no longer who you used to be, and now your life is is caught up in these three things. Most of you are saying right now, Mark, this is my life. I love God. I love the Father. Check. I love God's children. You know, other Christians. Check. And I love God's Word. I love, you know, and I don't carry it out perfectly, but I do love the Word of God and want to follow God. Check. The reason you are saying that is because at some point, God poured into you new life. You believed on Jesus, and your life was absolutely transformed. For me, that happened July 27, 1981. That was the day God gave me new life. I believed on Him, and my life was transformed. I started loving the Father, loving Christians, and loving God's Word. Now, there may be some of us here this morning, or maybe watching on video, and maybe you're saying, you know, I'm not sure I love God, and I love Christians, really, and I love God's Word. And maybe that's because you haven't yet received the new life and trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord. But maybe God is wanting to give you new life today and grace to believe on Jesus because a new life awaits you through faith. And that's awesome. And you need to think about that. 
So the first reason why Christians believe in Jesus, belief in Jesus is the byproduct, the result of being born of God. It's a miracle. I want you to talk about this at your tables. How did your life change when you were given new life and believed in Jesus? Talk about that. Go for it. All right, we're looking at three reasons John gives us why Christians believe in Jesus. Number one, Christians believe in Jesus because it is the byproduct of being born of God. Second, belief in Jesus is the only way to overcome the world. Now, all Christians overcome the world, but the only way to overcome the world is to exercise faith, trust, belief in Jesus. Chapter 5, verses 4 to 5. For everyone born of God, what does it say? Overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith, our belief. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, question, what does it mean to overcome the world? Well, let's talk about the world that John's talking about here. This is a reference to the evil system of this world that's all around us, the sinfulness of this world, the world that you feel when you go to work, the world that you feel oftentimes when you turn on your TV, the world all around you of society that's anti-God, the deceptions in this world, the evil ways and practices, philosophy of this world. Remember, we talked about this in 1 John 2 and verse 16, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. And when you live in the world, that comes crashing down on you all the time. You feel it all the time. But when we place faith in Jesus, we receive power because of belief to overcome the evil world system. Now, question, what does it mean to overcome the world. We know what the world is. What does it mean to overcome the world? Well, the word overcome comes from the Greek word nikao, from which we get the word Nike. Nike literally means to have victory, to conquer, or to defeat an enemy. The world is the enemy in this context. Now, Jesus said about himself, he said in John 16, 33, In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, this world system. Jesus has overcome, he's nikaoed, so to speak, this world. And when we place our faith in Jesus, watch this, we enter in to his victory over the evil system, the temptations of this world. And Paul said in Romans 8, 37, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That phrase, more than conquerors, it's one Greek word. Hooper, nikao. Compound word, hooper nikao. It literally means more than conquerors. It means we are more than conquerors. We are overwhelmingly, absolutely, completely victorious conquers over this world system. And notice the victory, though, is always through Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 4, this is the victory that has overcome the world. It's our faith. It's our belief in Jesus. Kind of like what Paul said, I can do all things through who? 
Christ who strengthens me. I mean, our strength to overcome the world, certainly we are overcomers. It's now in our nature because of Christ, but we also have to depend on Christ to have victory over the world. Most of you are saying, again, you're saying, you know, Mark, you're right. This describes my life. I mean, you're thinking back to when you didn't know Christ, when you didn't have put your faith in Jesus and your life back then. You're like, yeah, when I didn't, you know, hadn't placed my faith in Jesus, I was owned by this world. I mean, the evil system of this world, it drove me and enslaved me. I fell into all sorts of temptations. I mean, sinful habits controlled my life. My language was foul. My thought life was just, wow, was immoral. My relationships were just, wow, ungodly. My life was being defeated by the sinful choices I was making. This world was just crashing in on me, kind of owned me like a puppet on a string. That's a non-Christian. A Christian is someone who's put faith in Jesus, and because of our faith in Jesus, we enter into Christ's victory, and we become overcomers of the world. And you're thinking to yourself, hey, then there was the day I placed my faith in Jesus, and everything began to change. It didn't perfectly change, but it began to change. If your life never began to change when you think you put faith in Jesus, you never put faith in Jesus. You may have put your faith in religion, but Jesus changes lives. There's no such thing as a Christian whose life is not being changed. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't enter into Jesus' victory and begin tasting victory. That does not mean that you live some perfect life. That's not the point. But if you have never experienced victory over the world, you are not a Christian. You've got to admit that about yourself. There is victory in Jesus Christ. You have his resurrection power in you. It is a vital sign that you are saved because your faith makes you a victor. Nike is written all over your soul. You are the original Nike. Yes, just do it. (laughs) And we can. We can. I mean, I look back at my life after I became a Christian and what Christ did in my life. Are you kidding me? He absolutely transformed me, and he's continuing to give me victory. Not perfect victory. I still struggle. We all struggle. We live in a world that's very seductive. We fall, but we get back up again. But, beloved, there comes a point where the back of sin has been broken by the power of Jesus, and you're an overcomer. That is your identity as a Christian. And if that doesn't make sense to you, you're like, I don't know anything about that experience. You have to question, do you know Jesus? Has he given you new life? Have you exercised true saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? The reason that story is just the story of every believer is because every believer put faith in Jesus. And when you put faith in Jesus, you become an overcomer, and he gives you strength to overcome. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Faith is flat-out powerful. It changes your life. It makes you an overcomer. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God, he gives us, that's all believers, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, this doesn't mean that once you become a believer, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're going to become, you know, some perfect Christian, you know, who never struggles with this world. You're going to face your battles, beloved, but you win the war. We're going to succumb at times to Satan's temptations and the world's allurements. But guess what? When you look in the mirror, you're not going to see some defeated 
person, you're going to see an overcomer who keeps rising up. Because that is the nature of someone who's put faith in Jesus. You are an overcomer. You know, this last Wednesday, I received a phone call from... Uh, have you ever received a phone call from a guy you went to high school with? <laughs> That's like 30 years ago, you know? And I did this wedding when I was new pastor just recently. You know, I, I started pastoring pretty much probably too soon after I became a Christian. Um, but, man, just my life was so changed. And, 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 and anyway, uh, the wedding I did, this guy who called me was the best man. And his name is Billy. And I talked to Billy and I said, Billy, and he saw the joy in my life. He even said, he goes, Mark, I remember the joy in your life. I remember that you told me that Jesus, if I believed on him, would change my life. And he goes, for the last 30 years, I've been running from God, and it has brought me down a, a tailspin of destruction. And I'm calling you right now. And I could tell something in his voice. He's, I'm calling you from Colorado. My story is that a few months ago, Huh. on Good Friday, I'm running from God. There was problems I have in the law here in California. I'm running, I'm hitchhiking, I don't know where I'm going. I find myself going into a church on a Good Friday and sitting in that service, and, and God changed my life. He is now alive in me. I believe in Him. And, and the church there gave me $130. That got me through hitchhiking down further. And I spent the night on a Saturday night before Easter Sunday morning at another church kind of in their lot. The pastor found me in the morning, invited me in to the service. It was the greatest day of my life to worship in Easter Sunday. And the pastor just reached out to me and, and, and now I am hired as their janitor. And he's being discipled and he's growing. And he go, I got all these friends and they're all pastors and they're pouring into my life. And he, goes, and he goes, Mark, here's the thing. He goes, I have to come back to California and face some things with the law. But I'm getting strong enough spiritually. He's becoming an overcomer to face that. That's true spiritual life. And then he said this to me. He said, Mark, and I quote, wrote it down here. He said, if I would have believed in Jesus, then these things would have never happened to my life. Why? Because when you believe in Jesus, he makes you an overcomer. Billy, if you're watching this on video, you know Christ, you're born again, you are an overcomer. You are showing the vital sign of being born again by the Spirit of God. That's what God does. That's a Christian. Not perfect, still got his struggles. We all have our struggles, but you're an overcomer. I want you to talk about this at your tables. Why do we... Believe in Jesus because belief in Jesus is the only way to become an overcomer. Talk about this. How did you begin overcoming the world? Begin. I didn't say end, but just how did you begin overcoming the world when you believed on Jesus? Talk about that. Three reasons why Christians believe in Jesus. Number one, belief in Jesus is the byproduct of being born again. Second, belief in Jesus is the only way to be an overcomer. Third is this, belief in Jesus is the only way to have God's testimony in your heart. Now, all Christians have God's testimony planted in their heart, and I'll talk about what that means in a second. But the only way to have God's testimony planted in our heart is to place our faith, our trust in Jesus. Now, question, what is God's testimony? God's testimony 
is this. Jesus is the Son of God and that through faith in Jesus you have eternal life. Now, if you're a Christian, you have that in your heart. You believe in your heart and it's there. It's like the Holy Spirit places it there. That Jesus is the Son of God and that through faith in Him I have eternal life. That's God's testimony. Now, question, what is the evidence of this testimony, that it is true that Jesus is the Son of God. This is a difficult passage to explain. I'm going to do my best to take you through it, and I hope that it will make sense. Now, God provides us with three pieces of evidence that substantiate the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, and that through believing Him, you have eternal life. Now, in the Old Testament, the law required the evidence of two or three witnesses to substantiate a truth. I want you to notice how John gives us God's threefold witness to substantiate God's testimony about Jesus. Let me read these verses, and they provide a lot of confusion for, especially at the first reading, but I think I'll be able to make sense of it for you. Verses 6 to 8, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. So what is God's threefold witness testifying that Jesus is who He said He is and that through faith in Him you have eternal life? Well, witness number one is the water. See that there? This is the one who came by water. What in the world is that? That's a reference to Jesus' baptism. The first part of Jesus, God's testimony that Jesus is the Son of God and through faith in Him, you'll have eternal life. God says this, remember what God said about Jesus at His baptism? Remember that? I give it to you there, Matthew three seventeen. This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. But then there's another witness. This is the one who came by water and blood. Blood is the second witness. What is blood? That's a reference to the cross. You know, 600 years before the cross, God spoke through Isaiah about the cross. All through Scripture, we have testimony of God about the future cross that would come. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way. And the Lord laid on Him, on that cross, the iniquity of us all. And right after Jesus died on that cross, you remember that God spoke through, He testified through, a battle-hardened Roman centurion with these words in Matthew 27, 54, surely He was the Son of God, and everyone heard it. God also spoke through the Apostle Paul, and all the apostles, for that matter of fact. We could quote all sorts of scriptures on this. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that's the point there in that verse, for our sins. If we don't add that, then the death of Christ is really pointless. There's no explanation for the cross because Jesus was sinless for him dying than apart from the truth that he died for you and me, sinners. He shed his blood for you and me. And God testifies and validates his son Jesus through the water, his baptism, through the blood, his cross. And then there's the third witness that validates God's testimony about his son. Witness number three is the Holy Spirit. And it is the Spirit, the end of verse 6, who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, 
and the blood. And all three are in agreement about the same thing, that Jesus is who he said he is, the Son of God, and that through faith in him you have eternal life. And the Holy Spirit, he testifies in your heart all the time if you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit's job, he indwells you, is to convince you, he's constantly speaking to you, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Through faith you have life in his name. Through his water, the baptism, through his blood, the cross, this validates who he is. And you have this ongoing experience in your life. And then John makes this logical statement in verse 9 out of that. He says, we accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God. I mean, think about it. We may believe man's testimony when he gets on the stand. I mean, if he's a good witness, oh, yeah, I believe that guy. But how much greater should we believe God's testimony, which he gives us here, about his son. And then John makes a powerful statement about belief and disbelief in verse 10. He says, anyone who believes in the Son of God, you do as a Christian, has this testimony in his heart. I mean, this testimony is alive. And then he says, anyone who does not believe God, what he's testified about Jesus, has made God to be a liar because he's not believed the testimony God has given about his son. God sent his son into this world and through his baptism physically and his, his death and resurrection and then on top of it is Holy Spirit who's wooing people to God. If people reject that, then they are saying, God, you're a liar. Wow, that's powerful. You know, mo- most of, and then in verse, what specifically, by the way, is God's testimony? 11 and 12 says it. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, most of you are saying, Mark, this isn't a big thing for me. I mean, I I get this. I mean, uh, you know, I I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that through faith in Him I have eternal life. I I get that. And furthermore, you're saying, Mark, I don't doubt God's threefold witness, his testimony, to back this claim up. I believe in Jesus' water baptism. I believe he went to the cross, shed his blood there. And furthermore, the Holy Spirit is always confirming this in my heart. I get it. This is me. Question, why is this your experience? Because you have believed. Because you believe. You have the testimony in you. Because you believe the Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to you, testifying to you, affirming to you these three truths deep in your heart. Because you have believed, these truths are, watch this, second nature to you. Because you believed, you have God's testimony in your heart. But God, well, watch this. But for someone who's never believed, they have no clue what I'm talking about right now. Because they have no experience of this testimony being alive in their lives. They don't have the Holy Spirit's presence assuring them, testifying to them, reiterating to them that Jesus is the Son of God and that He proved it through His baptism and on the cross and that through faith in Jesus you have eternal life, you have confidence of that. They, a non-Christian has none of that going on in their life because they've never believed. You see, it's an amazing thing to believe on Jesus. A miracle happens. You're given new life. And with that comes the Holy Spirit, and with that comes a testimony that is absolutely alive in your life. 
question. Have you ever thought, what will it be like to be on your deathbed? What a wonderful thought. But you know, all of us are going to face that. And as a pastor, I often think, what's it going to be like? Because I've been with dozens of people on their deathbed. I've held hands as people go from this life into eternity with people. My dear friend Doug Foxworthy, I was right there as Doug slipped into eternity. What's it going to be like to be on your deathbed? Will you have doubts? Will you have fears? Will you have the assurance that you're going to go to heaven? Will you have the assurance that God loves you? I've been with so many. I've never seen a Christian afraid, ever, on their deathbed. I've seen non-Christians terrified. And it is a great time to share the gospel. I've seen grandmas in their 90s have an opportunity to come and share the gospel and then pray to receive Christ. And then just minutes after that, slip into eternity. God is so gracious. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David said, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Why did David write that? Why could David say, you will be with me? Because he believed. He was a believer. Verse 10 says this. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. You see, you have the testimony deep in your heart if, in fact, you believe. The testimony isn't in a book. It's not in a church. It's not with another Christian who's more holy than you. If you're a Christian and you believe, the testimony is in your life. And it's pounding and it's real. The testimony that says, Jesus is the Son of God. You have eternal life. You belong to God. And the testimony is just erupting, convincing you. This is what happens when you believe. You live with this testimony. Remember Stephen, first Christian martyr? At his death, when he was being stoned in Acts 7, it says he, he, Stephen said, Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing in the right hand of God. <laughs> All heaven testified for Stephen. All heaven. If you're a Christian and you believe, guess what? As you get close to that moment, the testimony is going to become nothing but more real and more comforting and more assuring. How wonderful to know Christ. How awesome to know Jesus, to believe on him. To have that testimony when you near death. Oh, beloved, what a gift that God gives us. We don't die alone. Oh, our last breath here is our first breath there. All heaven opens up. Oh, but if you've never believed, beloved, believe on Jesus today. Because <laughs> you'll get a testimony, and that testimony will be so real. 160 thousand of your brothers and sisters are martyred for their faith every year. That's one every five minutes. They face someone who's going to take their life, cut off their head, whatever, for Jesus. The test Why can they do that? You ask yourself, could I do that? Yes, you could do that because the testimony comes alive in those moments and gives you the courage to take a stand for Jesus even if your head is cut off. Why? Would these people remain faithful 
even to the point of having their head cut off because they're believers. The testimony is real. That's how you know you have everlasting life. That's how you know you're going to heaven. Testimony is not fake, it's real. Some of you were with me when we went to Turkey this last May. And there was one place that we will never forget because Turkey is the cradle of Christianity. And you'll remember that we went and we visited Smyrna, the scene of the death of Polycarp, one of the early church fathers, 86 years old. He was burned alive at the stake for refusing to worship Caesar and refusing to denounce his faith in Jesus. This happened 160 A.D., I want to read you his story, the account. That's told in the Fox's book of Martyrs and, and other books. This happened in history. And what I want you to hear and see and feel in all of this is how the testimony is alive in Polycarp. Polycarp, was, by the way, was John's disciple. John, who wrote 1 John, he discipled. Polycarp was his, one of his chief disciples. He was martyred. This is the story. Warned of his arrest, that it was impending, Bishop Colicarp left Smyrna and had hidden in a farmhouse. The threat of his life is real. Smyrnans have recently executed several Christians for their faith. Now a pagan mob is demanding the bishop's life. Smyrnans are fiercely loyal to Rome and to the old gods, small g gods. Kill the church leader, they reason, and his church will die. The governor dispatches soldiers to track down the old man who has the distinction of being one of the last churchmen who actually studied at the feet of the Lord's apostle John. The soldiers care nothing about this. Intent on locating him, they torture witnesses who reveal Polycarp's whereabouts. His hiding place betrayed, Polycarp moves to another. One must face martyrdom boldly when it comes. He believes, but no one should seek it. The authorities discover where he is hiding, and soldiers arrive to arrest him. He welcomes them as if they are old friends and asks that they be served food and drink, requesting only an hour to pray before being marched to the arena. They agree. Overhearing the godly prayers, the soldiers wonder why they are arresting him. Surely this is a good man. They allow the hour to stretch into two. Finally, they can delay no longer. I wonder if this will be the scene in the United States and America at some point. The book of Revelation is true, and the United States prevails. We may very face martyrdom. It's happening everywhere else. And you will stand true because the testimony will be just alive as in you as it is in Polycarp. Finally, they can delay no longer. They haul Polycarp in. When he nears the city, a heathen magistrate approaches in a chariot and takes Polycarp into it. The magistrate tries to persuade the Christian to sacrifice to the gods. But finding that he can make no headway with him, pushes him out of the conveyance so roughly that he falls and scrapes open the flesh on his chin, shin. Showing as little pain as possible, the elderly bishop limps behind the soldiers into the amphitheater where great numbers of people are gathered. At the sight of him, the mob sets up loud cries and rage and savage delight. 
But Polycarp hears the voice telling him, here's the testimony, be strong and play the man. Consequently, he does not allow the spite of the crowd to trouble him. The governor asks him, deny Christ, and promises that if he will, he will live and be spared. But the faithful bishop answers, this is probably his most famous statement he ever made, Polycarp, four score and six years have I served him, and he has never done me injury. How can I now blaspheme my king and savior? When Polycarp rejects further pressures to deny Jesus and save himself, the governor threatens to burn him. Polycarp turns the tables and warns him of eternal fire. The governor ignores the warning and orders the execution to proceed. The soldiers prepare to nail Polycarp to the stake, but he assures them nails won't be needed, so he is tied instead. The fire is lit, the flames rise around him. But what is this? The fire parts around Polycarp. It is as if the flames avoid him. Eyewitnesses will claim his body glowed like gold in the fire, but it was untouched. Finally, a soldier whose usual task is to put wounded animals out of their misery executes the bishop with a sword. The good old man is dead, an inspiration to others who will perish in similar circumstances for centuries to come. Why do believers believe? It's the only way to have this kind of testimony in your heart that would even move you to sacrifice your life for Jesus Christ. That's normal Christian living. That's a Christian. The testimony is real. It's real. Is it real in you? It is real in you. It's there. Hallelujah. I want you to talk about that. How did you begin experiencing God's testimony in your heart when you believed? Take a moment and talk about that. All right, this morning we've looked at the 12th vital sign that indicates we possess spiritual eternal life. And it's simply the indicator of belief. So the question is this, how do Do we know we have eternal life? Well, we have believed, and we continue to believe in Jesus. I mean, that's really it. So time to evaluate. Take a spiritual test. 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? So the, the simple question about the test is this. Do you believe in Jesus? that He is the Son of God, and that through faith in Him, belief in Him, you have eternal life. If that testimony is in your life, it's real. You continue to believe. Beep, beep. You indicate, you show, you have eternal life. Every Christian has this experience. John gives us three reasons why all Christians have this kind of belief. It is the byproduct of being born of God. It's the only way to overcome the world. And it's the only way to have God's testimony in our heart. Ongoing belief in Jesus is a spiritual vital sign that we have eternal life. So again, the purpose of 1 John is to give us assurance, confidence that we have eternal life. God wants you going out of here going, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I have eternal life. He wants you to, and and it shows all over my life because it's it's, it's spiritually beating everywhere. It's just off the charts. 
So if belief in Jesus characterizes your life, you know for sure you're saved. If belief in Jesus does not characterize your life, man, you don't know anything about this testimony, you know, of God in your life, the Holy Spirit in your life, you being an overcomer because that's the evidence you believe, you got to say, man, am I a Christian? And the great news is this. You can believe on Jesus today. Receive His eternal life. Become His child. Begin overcoming this world. Have God's testimony placed in your heart and begin living out, convincing yourself and the world that you belong to Him. Mm. Let's pray.